Have you ever been in a situation where you're thinking of buying a ring or a pendant with a diamond or a birthstone? When we decide to buy that piece of jewelry with a gem in it, we can usually decide pretty quickly if we like the look of the thing, but then we start wondering about the gem's quality. Now, I'm told that when it comes to gem quality, there are four C's that are important, color, clarity, cut, and carrot, which is weight. Those with experience in this area will insist on examining the gem under magnification to assure that the gem is of high quality. But hey, I am not that guy. I'm not an expert and I don't shop with a loop. So what can I do? Well, I can look for an official gemstone certificate, preferably one from a gemologist who doesn't work for this firm selling me the gem. That certification is important to me because it means that the gem has been evaluated in a standard fashion and I can borrow the expertise of the trained certifier to know something about the gem I'm about to purchase for my wife. Now, no, my dear wife, please don't take this to reflect an actual transaction in flight. This is just for thinking purposes. Well, today we're going to look closely at health equity, but now through a certification and accreditation lens. Accreditation and quality are not the same thing, but they are definitely related. In healthcare, being accredited means that an independent formal evaluation has taken place and the facility or healthcare organization has met certain quality standards. And these standards are usually set by private, nationally recognized groups that check on the quality of care at healthcare facilities and organizations. Healthcare accreditation focuses mostly on the structures and processes that most consistently promote a safe place to work and a safe place to receive care. They also correlate with high quality outcomes. Now we know that safety and outcomes are not equitable. The quality and safety movement has matured over many decades, but accreditation and certification standards have reflected the best practices for structures and process that drive the overall best quality outcomes. And they've been this for a long time. But what about those that drive healthcare equity? Today, we're gonna to talk with some experts on certification and accreditation, looking particularly at healthcare equity. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine and vice chair for quality here at Mayo Clinic. Co-hosting today with me is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, consultation relationship manager for quality at Mayo Clinic. You know, when you were doing your intro at first, Dr. Morgenthaler, I was wondering where you're going with the gem idea. And then I got really excited because I like I know. jewelry. That, I had to put that qualify in there because my wife listens to these podcasts and I didn't want her to think that there's something on the way. So, But I did like how you connected that concept back to our conversation today on equity and accreditation, which I'm also very excited to learn from our guests today. Well, yeah, and I have a lot to learn here, but I'm really pleased to have our guests Melanie Ryan and Marquita Davis. Uh, Melanie is a director of accreditation and certification, which at Mayo Clinic resides within our enterprise quality department. And Marquita Davis is a director of our programs and initiatives in the Office of Healthcare Equity and Inclusion. And so I'm going to actually introduce them and ask them to uh, share a little bit about themselves. Melanie, can you just tell us a little bit about you know your current post and how long you've been with Mayo? And what would we want to know about your Mayo Clinic and accreditation journey? And well, before Melanie starts, I'm going to jump in here. Ah, she is a seasoned guest. She has been with us once before. So true. welcome again. 
Well, thank you. I'm glad to be back and happy to have the chance to talk a little bit about these important standards. So I'm Melanie Ryan. I'm Enterprise Director of Accreditation and Certification for Mayo Clinic. I've been at Mayo for coming on 20 years and in a role related to accreditation for almost 13. We have 29 accreditations and 12 disease-specific care certifications across 19 accredited facilities at Mayo Clinic. And one of the reasons those 19 facilities are important and those 29 in individual accreditations are important is that we're required by the federal government to meet the standards at the site level. So as we talk about health equity and we talk about those standards, we not only need to speak to how our system is approaching uh, response to these new requirements, but also how we're managing them at the individual site level. I'm always impressed with how many different accreditations and systems that your work uh, touches on. So we're, we're really glad to have you. Marquita, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself and your time at Mayo Clinic? Yes, absolutely. Happy to be here. This is my first podcast with y'all, so I'm very excited for that. I've been at Mayo Clinic for 19 years. I've worked most of those years in the health system. My current role is supporting all of those regional sites across all Mayo Clinic at um, managing the um, regulatory standards and keeping track of where we are with compliance with that. But outside of our goal is to go above and beyond what those regulatory standards are, because one, we're Mayo Clinic, two, it's the right thing to do. And so um, I have a, a background in public health. I've done this work my entire career, and you'll learn a little bit more about that. So just happy to be here. Oh, fantastic. Our topic today kind of intersects two topics. You know, one is accreditation, and the other is health equity. And maybe just to kind of start digging in, maybe you two could share with us how you first got interested in this particular intersection of topics. Well, I can start and I'll turn it over to Marquita, who really is a subject matter expert in this space. I got interested in these standards the same way that I get interested in all standards. Strike Commission said you need to start following these. And so in March of 2022, they issued what's called a field review. And that's similar to, you know, a proposal to review standards and gain feedback from accredited organizations as to how the standards will be received within their facilities, whether or not those standards will be implementable by the organizations. When they release the field review on health equity, organizations have the opportunity to comment and send their feedback through a survey process. And the next step is they release proposed standards and the pre-publication review. So those came out later in 2022 with an effective date for those new standards of January 1st of 2023. The standards themselves were relatively straightforward, allowing, as Marquita will, will mention, a very base level for organizational compliance related to health equity. But it really also represented the first time that the Joint Commission had sort of approached the topic and more of a component, I think, coming out of the pandemic and the recognition of some very significant disparities that we were seeing in this space. So the standards were released in January. They were released under the leadership standards, and then they actually got elevated to a national patient safety goal, which elevates their importance in Joint Commission's perspective. And those went into play July 1st. We definitely want to hear from Marquita on this, but before we do, I just have two questions or comments. One is the initial surveys occurred in 2022, and already, you know, really about one year later, there's standards that organizations have to meet. Is that tempo common or is that a little bit more accelerated from how these things typically get entered into the joint commission standards? 
You know, it really varies. With a brand new set of standards, we typically, you know, get at least six months of notification time from the time that they set standards out to the time that they're implemented. But it also depends on whether or not those standards are specifically driven by the CMS conditions of participation. When CMS puts out a new requirement and the accrediting organizations need to match and meet that requirement in order for organizations to continue to be certified, then the timeline is far more accelerated. So in this particular circumstance, similar to their workplace violence standards, they did give us what I would consider to actually be relatively decent lead time. Okay. And I guess the second thing that I'm not surprised to hear you say that uh, you offer your opinion that these you know new standards are fairly early entry level. And that's really why in, in my comments, I had said, you know, I think some of our other standards have matured over decades and we're really just starting to learn and think about how to approach this. But Marquita, tell us your thoughts about this. Yes, this is actually one of my favorite questions to answer. Reducing healthcare disparities has been a, a career long passion of mine, sparked by my personal experience in the community hospital as a teen. So I sought out to understand how healthcare organizations work internally and how they work with external stakeholders. And so that gave me complete clarity on why healthcare disparities exist. Mayo Clinic, fortunately, was already well on its way to addressing healthcare disparities. So when the Joint Commission Leadership Standards came along, the task was simply to align and structure all the great work that was already occurring. So it, it obviously takes a much larger team than the two of you to do this work in an organization the size of Mayo Clinic. So who did you involve as you started to organize this work? You know, initially, when the standards first came out, I was actually just in preparation for the podcast, going back through our process by which we alerted the practice and our clinical leadership that these standards were in play, that they were being you know revised and, and how could we and who should we partner with? And so it was at that point that I learned we had an office of health equity and that was different than equity and diversity and inclusion that was specific to our workforce, that this was really focused on our patients and reducing disparities in the patient population. And so connected with the leadership from the office of health equity. And then we started collaborating together in partnership really with our accreditation staff helping to provide the insight and resources from the Joint Commission about how are these standards going to be evaluated? What are they expecting to see in partnership with really a very wide network of site-based leaders that were going to take ownership for these standards at their individual level in concert and coordination with our Office of Health Equity and Inclusion's great work at pulling those together into a comprehensive work group. Great points, Melody. In one of the previous series, um, our office administrator, Dawn Peters, spoke about how our office was formed. And as Melody mentioned, we had just a very small office. There is only four staff by four people, a provider administrator, myself, and a program specialist. And so when the Joint Commission standards were released, it was evident that we could not do this alone. We began by strategically recruiting individuals who are early adopters and passionate about reducing healthcare disparities. We found a lot of those staff actually from our equity, diversity, and inclusion group who focus on the workforce. So as a result, we formed three key work groups. Um, the first one was the health equity work group to kind of oversee the compliance and regulatory requirements in each region. We formed an implementation work group 
and an internal community coalition. So each of these multidisciplinary groups were designed to help collect data, identify disparities, test and evaluate evidence-based interventions, and seek out key partnerships in the community. Reducing healthcare disparities is incredibly complex, especially in an organization the size of Mayo Clinic. So strategic alignment with well-known best practices just kind of ensured that we were taking the right steps forward. Akita, as you were thinking about forming these different groups, you know, your office, as you told me, is, you know, the small but mighty group of people. How did you decide that those were the particular groups that you needed? And how did you find people that stepped forward to do that? You know, did they volunteer or were they sort of voluntold or a combination of all those things? I mean, tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, it was a little, it was a combination of both volunteer and voluntold. And the reason being because it's a regulatory requirement. So we didn't want this to be, so just because it was a health equity requirement, we didn't want this to be set aside from any other thing. So if it was a national patient safety goal mm-hmm. for falls or anything else, this is still a regulatory requirement designed to keep our patients safe. And so we wanted to make sure that we followed the same process as we would with any other new regulatory standard that came about. And so unfortunately, some people had to be voluntold, but they're, you know, I'll talk a little bit later about the passion behind this work at Mayo Clinic. And so that made it very easy for us to get some key stakeholders involved. So that kind of leads us maybe to the next question that I'd be interested about, and that is, you know, as you started this work, the two of you and, and those that you work with, what did you find were some of the big challenges and cross-group interactions required and so forth? Yeah, I can start off with this. And so for perspective, the biggest piece was first culture. In order to explore what it truly means to reduce healthcare disparities at Mayo Clinic, we had to look at how well are we executing on our core values for all patient populations. And so we had to kind of massage that message that reducing health disparities is not just a project or an initiative. And our goal is not just to reduce health disparities, but it's also to prevent them from ever occurring to the extent of our capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so shifting mindsets in this space was one of the greatest challenges because we wanted to embed a health equity lens into the work that all of us do as healthcare workers to ensure that we're delivering on those Mayo Clinic values and all populations are able to benefit from that. I think one of the biggest challenges is just the unbelievable complexity in this particular space. Mayo Clinic's a very data-rich organization, but we have a wide variety of facilities that needed to meet these requirements and that have different challenges. So the challenges of a small critical access hospital in rural Wisconsin are very different than the challenges of our facility in Jacksonville, Florida. And because of that, because of the not only the internal resources that we have that vary across our facilities, but the external community and that level of engagement and the resources available to patients in those areas that we can rely upon to refer our patients to, they're very different depending on where you are. So I think what's the biggest challenge is just the unbelievable complexity. And so I think what Marquita and team have done a very nice job of is really drilling down and narrowing in on let's focus on one to two disparities so that we have an effective action plan at each site that we can really implement and demonstrate some good forward progress. 
to piggyback a little bit off what you said as well, Melanie, is that the standards were new. And so they were quite ambiguous. And so there was a lot of tension to start to try to understand, okay, what does the Joint Commission want to see? We're following each of these steps as, as closely as we could, but we just did not know. So we had to go and just create a plan and stick to that plan, make sure we're highlighting what the standards are asking for and keep our fingers crossed that we're meeting what they're asking us to do. And thankfully we were very successful at that. Yeah, having a lot of gray areas and trying to accomplish any goal is not necessarily uh, beneficial or easy. So any surprises along the way in your journey so far? Yes, there are, for me in particular, there are a ton of surprises, but one of the more positive ones was the deep amount of passion behind this work for many healthcare workers. There've been several people that reach out to us for one, thanking us for the work that we're doing and then wanting to learn more about how they can help support our efforts. And so when we go back to that, are people being volunteering? Are they volunteering or being voluntold? Kind of a little bit of both, but it's it's all been very, very positive. I've also found that rely, ensuring that reliable and equitable care is tied to the reason that many of our staff here at Mayo Clinic even chose a healthcare career, including myself. And so um, just the amount of support and enthusiasm that we've been receiving behind this work has been phenomenal. And Saying that it's a surprise just because of the magnitude of support, but it's not surprising that people at this facility feel this way about this work. So Marquita, circling back to an earlier part of our discussion, you mentioned and kind of tantalized us with the thought that part of what motivated you in this work that you're participating in were some personal experiences. And I wonder if I could presume to ask you to share a bit about those experiences. Yes, absolutely. So um, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I currently am in the the frozen tundra of Wisconsin right now. But um, as a teen, I was not feeling well. And I went to a county hospital. Now, the reason I went to that county hospital is something that I can get at Walgreens today. Um, But I went to a county hospital and sat in the emergency room for 13 hours. And so as, as I sat there, I wondered, hmm, why, what's taking so long? No one has checked on me. There's other people sitting in here that look really sick. What happened if they die? And I was a a young, uh, you know, I was 17 at the time. And so I had so many questions swirling in my head. Mm. And so it was that spark at that time that I always knew I wanted to work in healthcare, but I didn't quite know what. And so at that moment, I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. This is just, it's not okay. What can we do about it? And so that sparked my career in every single step I took forward. And I've never worked in any other industry other than healthcare. And all of the work that I've done has given me a very well-rounded experience to better understand the complexity of this issue. I've worked in patient experience. I've worked in the front desk. And so I've seen, you know, quality. So I've seen the various elements that can contribute to a patient experiencing something like I've experienced, which can downstream turn into a health disparity. Wow. That is powerful. So when you think about the programs that you've been working on now for a number of years, but especially 
the accreditation aspects of things, what would you say is the current state of the project? Current state, things are going very well. We have several deeply engaged teams who are working on projects to reduce disparities at their respective sites. I mentioned earlier, really important part of that is data collection. And Melanie had alluded to that, you know, regionally, there are some nuance into the data and what we're finding are the disparities. And so although our OHI office oversees the entire Mayo Clinic Enterprise for Health Equity Programs, it's important to create interventions that are specific to the site and the patients that are being seen in that area. We have had a few visits from the Joint Commission and shared all the work that we're doing, and they've been very positive. They've indicated they, that they were deeply impressed with our approach to address healthcare disparities and our approach to educate our staff um, to prepare them to meet the patient in that manner. So, so far, so good. Things are really, really robust right now. We're also working on some infrastructure and equity, which is technology and health equity. We'll talk more about that in a future podcast. Oh, um, yeah. I want to learn more about that. Yeah, me yes. too. <laughs> but setting the infrastructure so it's not complicated for our staff to be able to address disparities and meet in the needs of patients. Marquita, thank you for sharing a little bit about your own personal story. So I'm sure you have many stories about this work and the connection to our patients and staff, but would you be willing to share another one? Yes, absolutely. One of the most important things is to make sure that we leverage data, especially patient experience data, as a guidepost to better understand our patients' needs. And so, for example, there was a couple of years ago, you might remember a news story where a disposable hijab was given to a patient that was getting an MRI done, and that received national attention. Another, you know, very good patient story that just highlights our attentiveness to the meeting our patients where they are is that there was a pediatric patient who had some hair loss in the back of their head, and it was a, a multicultural patient, and our teams had worked to get the, the infant a satin pillowcase to prevent some of the rubbing and the breakage in the back of their head, which is a common problem, you know, in multicultural communities. And so that's just one of the more patient-focused examples. Another example is, for example, we looked at diabetes data for a Black or African-American population and recognized that, you know, their A1C control was not the best. And so we looked at and audited their medication management plans implemented a connection with our, our medication therapy management pharmacist and intentional outreach from care team staff. And we were able in 18 months, we were able to reduce or improve their A1C control by 10%. And Wonderful. so it's wow. those types of initiatives that, you know, all of our teams are currently engaged in. That's what the joint commission is asking us to do. But of course, we're Mayo Clinic, so we've already been doing some of this stuff, and it's it's wonderful. You know, Marquita, those are amazing stories. And of course, you'd love to hear more and more and more. So the diabetes uh, story that you told where, you know, they went ahead and looked into the management of the Black populations that we were involved with. What did they find when they looked at the medication management? A couple things. We weren't able to get patients in for appointments. And so being more proactive at scheduling labs was one of those. The other piece of that is medications that 
patients were taking. And what we found as we were doing provider education is that a lot of providers were scheduling some of, or were ordering some of the newer medications. So the GOP ones and twos, and those were the more successful ones at lowering the hemoglobin A1C. And we recognized that not a lot of our African-American population were taking those medicines. They were on the traditional metformins. Another caveat was the continuous glucose monitors. Those are wildly successful at helping patients manage their uh, blood glucose. And not a lot of those patients have been prescribed those either. And so connecting our providers and and strengthening the relationship actually with our providers and our pharmacists who are on site, the first step to that process, but also looking at the patient and having them working collaboratively to um, create a better medication therapy agreement for those patients. So this is a discussion that we kind of promised to look at accreditation and healthcare disparities. I just wonder, so I'm, again, I'm kind of going to this particular project that you, you know, just talked about with diabetes. Is that something that you think having the Joint Commission accreditation standards maybe nudged us to find that kind of disparity earlier than we would have otherwise? That's a really good question. Actually, the teams were looking at those disparities before the Joint Commission standards came about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I alluded to that earlier that Mayo Clinic was well on its way to addressing healthcare disparities. These standards just kind of reinforce and keep it at the forefront for us that this is important. It's a, a patient safety measure. We want to make sure that we are providing quality, safe, equitable care for all of our patients. And so the Joint Commission standards was just reinforcing the work for us and keeping it in the front of our minds. Mm -hmm. And I think from a Mayo Clinic perspective, that really resonates and makes a lot of sense where you have seen a light shown on these issues for some of the smaller community-based hospitals around the country that didn't have this as a priority and didn't have any resources associated with it. I think it's beginning to move the dial in that direction as well. Joint Commission has had the standards in place since January Obviously, they've done a number of surveys. They haven't, at this point, cited a, a large number of organizations for noncompliance with the standards. And in my experience, they really seem to be wanting to be perceived as partners mm. in organizations' journey towards reducing the disparities, because it really is an interdisciplinary interplay amongst the federal agencies. CMS has put out measures related to this space. Joint Commission has standards related to this space. And so pulling that all together provides at least a base level framework for some organizations that hadn't appreciated some of these disparities right. to move forward. So what are your next steps? Where do you go from here? And so one of them is beefing up our technology, I alluded to that earlier, just to support our caregivers and providing that equitable care. So there's some new tools out there that will help us, you know, identify a disparity in the patient chart, where it's at the forefront, aligning our quality efforts, having a digital closed feedback loop process with our community organizations where if we refer a patient to a community organization, we get feedback back that tells us that they've received the assistance. And so that's a that's a huge one that we're really waiting for. Also closing gaps in health literacy to equip our patients with the knowledge to be proactive and advocate in their own health care. This is a very difficult space because 
a lot of the thing. I'll give an example. One of our patient education tools for infant immunizations was like just a, a standard black and white text document. And so our teams took a look at that and they actually created a refrigerator magnet with illustration, illustrations on it about, you know, what's due at which visit if there's immunizations needed. Because we know one of the challenges for, you know, multicultural communities is finding time to get to these visits. And so we wanted to have something easy for them to access, but really beefing up on our our health literacy, allowing our patients to build some of those tools with us. Other piece is sustaining and spreading interventions across Mayo Clinic. So Mayo Clinic, uh, about six months ago, when we did this pull from our library, had 954 health equity research publications. And so our goal is to look at some of those publications, evaluate those programs for efficiency, and then start to spread some of that work across Mayo Clinic. There's no need to recreate the wheel when all of this great work is already happening here. And so I'll talk in the next series about all the tools that we've created on how to keep staff connected to one another as we go about those processes. Wow. So much great work, and you two are such expert resources in in these areas. We could talk a long time, but we do have to come to the end of our podcast. We're really glad you could all join us, and we hope that the information provided has been insightful and valuable. Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to highlight some of the first steps in addressing important quality challenges in your organization. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would be really grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcast or a rating on Spotify or feedback wherever you listen. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.